Welcome back to the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon. Now, if you're watching the replay or on YouTube, thanks so much for being a part of the Menopause Movement. And today, we're going to welcome Tamara Horton to the podcast. Tamara is the executive director of Studio Samwell, and Studio Samwell is the menopause movement's social cause, and a percentage of our gross revenues go to help this worthy cause. We're going to find out all about it. Now, Tamara is a Fashion Institute of Technology graduate. She's a Women's Campaign International Global Ambassador to Ethiopia and a board member of Ethiopia Healthcare Network. She founded Studio Samwell following the international adoption of her son. Tamara saw firsthand the safe options were stripped from a girl when she was born into poverty, seeing a need for an educational platform that would disrupt this pathway. After 13 years in operations and event planning at Sony Music Entertainment, Tamara transitioned to full-time with Studio Samwell and has successfully developed and implemented programming welcomed by the local communities in which Studio Samwell works. A demonstrated history of strategic planning and time management, Tamara has organically built a team dedicated to the advancement of girls. Tamara is certified in global poverty from Massachusetts Institute of Technology, edX, and she lives in New York City. During the podcast, we discuss how Tamara and I met and adopting from Ethiopia, what that was like, the reality of extreme poverty. We get a visit from the Ethiopian director of Studio Samuel and meet one of the girls. She talks about teaching basic life skills, the importance of knowing the culture of the community when you're going in there, the three pillars of Studio Samuel, why the name Studio Samuel, the importance of education and seeing things from a new perspective the International Day of the Girl event. And you can help this cause by donating directly, but also know that a percentage of the menopause movement's gross profits also go to Studio Samwell. So when you purchase our flagship program, the Minnow System Experience, or any of our other products, we do send money to Studio Samwell. So at the end of the episode, make sure you visit drmichellegordon.com forward slash podcasts, where you can find the show notes, plus the links to the books and resources mentioned in the episode. And if you enjoy the episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you're always the first to know when each episode is released. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for all the five-star reviews. If you haven't left a review yet, please take the time to review this podcast. It helps more women to find it and get the help they need during the disruption of menopause. No one should have to go it alone. And thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement. Now let's get to Tamara. Welcome to the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. The Menopause Movement supports Studio Samwell with a percentage of our gross proceeds. We're not profitable yet. We're still sending you money because we believe in, in what you do. And we, you know, I've been involved with you since about 2014 when we had that broad drive. It was a broad drive. Yes. Yeah, we had, we had the, so it was really great because it was at the home of a fellow entrepreneur. We're a two-woman home. And my wife is probably the queen of excess. And so I told her, I said, hey, we're going to go to this thing to give for bras. And so we must have brought, we must have brought like 50 bras or, you know, we just like <laughs> emptied our drawers, right? And then when you started talking, I just really resonated with you. And so I wrote you a check. And not only did I write you a check, I actually said I was going to give you something and then I doubled it. And then a bunch of other entrepreneurs in the room said, well, you know, I'm going to follow suit. And so how, how we got you going a little bit or? 100% got us going. That, that event, first of all, anyone else giving a donation that night was sparked by you <laughs> asking a question about the, the impact of the organization on a girl born into poverty. And I don't think I was even done finishing and you said, I'm giving. <laughs> and <laughs> it sparked everybody else giving. And what, what that did, that opened our training center doors. That was in the fall, winter of 2014. Our training center doors opened in 2015 to the first 25 girls. And, and I can't thank you enough. That, that was an individual donation that has since included your company. But what you also did is following that event, you sent us gently used tablets from the hospital. And no, for my practice, yeah. Yes, I yes. Sent, yeah, I sent you a bunch of tablets, yeah. And right after that, it was, it was right before 
the very first Africa Code Week. And because of your tablets, our 25 girls participated. And this was something that was so organic. It came together. And what it did for our girls was so empowering because they were doing something not only out of their village, their community, or country. They were participating in something continent-wide across Africa. And we have since, the ripple effect of that was tremendous. We now have a computer lab. The lab has been certified at a college. And it's just it, one, one donation has such an impact in our community. And you are approved. So whenever we do um, anything, right? I mean, you know, we know from chaos theory that, you know, a butterfly can cause a hurricane, right? But there's always a ripple effect. And, you know, in the menopause movement, we've got the minnow system, and this helps women kind of reframe menopause to make it the best time of their lives. And, and what we see, the ripple effect there, is we see improved relationships with ourselves first. And then that kind of goes out that we see that women are able to kind of reignite their marriages sometimes, have much better relationships with their children. And so we just, we just see this ripple effect every time we do something in our program. And part of that ripple effect now is when women come into the menopause movement and, and then do the minnow system, they're also affecting the girls in Ethiopia. Let's backtrack though and, and talk a little bit about what you did, you know, when you first, first got started, like what you were doing in, you know, terms of work and how you kind of got all of this whole Studio Samuel thing started. My background is in fashion and music. It is very far removed from international development. And my husband and I adopted our son from Ethiopia. And in that okay. process, we had to travel two times, not taking custody on the first trip. And that left us a lot of time. And I wanted to build as many stories as I could for my son as he grew, thinking I might not be back for a while. And now Ethiopia is like my second home. But at the time, I was collecting as many stories as I could for him. And by Can listening... Can you just talk about, just for one second, about the importance of these stories and what, what that means for you? Like, you know, why you wanted to collect stories and what kind of stories you were collecting for him? I wanted the truth for him. I, I wanted him to be proud of his culture, of his birthplace. And I'm a Western woman. I couldn't give that to him. His community could. So I wanted to collect the richness. This is such a beautiful country. And I wanted to give that to him in some way through stories. So okay. I thought by immersing myself in the community, I could create that. And, and that's where there was a, a big shift along the way. And the big shift was for you? You had a big shift or? I did. I, because of the stories that I was hearing from the the girls and the women. I had stories from boys and men too, and poverty does affect men, boys as well. But it was chilling to me what was happening to girls when they were born into poverty. And it goes back to your zip code, your birthplace dictates your poverty or prosperity. And this was so in my face. I, I wasn't prepared for the reality of extreme poverty. When you, when you become friends with people and then you hear what they've gone through and what they're continuing to go through, and it was really hard for me to hear stories of girls. The common thread was that they were denied an education. And when that happens, their options become child marriage or child labor or trafficking. And it was really hard for me to hear this. And then get back on a plane and come home and, you know, leave it. Go back to so, the, the music and fashion industry. Yeah, yeah. Which, which so. has its own, its own set of exploitations, but we won't go there today. <laughs> That was the launch for me. I wanted, I wanted to give back. All right. So can you share, you know, one story or we're going to meet a girl, right? Uh, during the, during this podcast, hopefully. The, the story that resonated with me was a, a trafficking story from a girl who I had befriended uh, along the adoption process. And what, what the, my biggest takeaway from that personally was that it was nothing what I thought it was, like what you see on TV with trafficking. It's, it's not always somebody being coerced into a situation they don't want to be in. Sometimes it's a plan. And sometimes families save money when they don't have money to put their daughter in a situation so that becomes, you know, it's, it's poverty. That becomes a means. So, so, the, 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 so the, child, the, the child becomes a commodity. Yes. 
for the family. Marriage, child labor trafficking. And I was trying to figure out a platform of some kind that was just basic that could reach one girl, a couple mm -hmm. of girls. And because what happened to that one girl, her story was just so, like, like I think I said before, it was very chilling to me. She was placed in a home where, out of the country, and it was all arranged. And her passport was taken upon arrival. She was not paid when she was there, which is part of the income part that the, the parents thought maybe she'd be able to send money home to them when she's in this house servant position. But that, that wasn't the case. And there was abuse. There was physical, sexual, verbal abuse. The husband, the son in the family, the mother of this family blamed the young girl for instigating it, that it was her fault. And she ended up being pushed out of a third story window and spent a very long time in the hospital, which is likely the only way she got her passport back because she was a, no more used to this family, so she went home. And then it, it just continued to spiral because now she was labeled a prostitute because word had spread of the abuse that she encountered well away. The family had a lot of backlash in the community. It affected them, and they had to ask her to leave. But mm. when she left, she ended up in the city, which is where I met her. And the, the horrifying part of this is that when she told me, her story, shared her story with me, that I, I was thinking that this, this girl was so strong, and thank goodness she's in a safe place now. And then her next breath was what her plan was. And her plan was to pay for a different broker and go back thinking there might be a different outcome because once again, she was not on the correct path. She, she still did not have education in her path. She mm -hmm. did not have employable skills. She didn't have the basic life skills. And then that's where Studio Stumble came into play. It, it was basic life skills. Education. Were you able to help her? Unfortunately, no, I, I was not. Do you know what the outcome was for her? I do not. Okay. All right. So, but this was, this is the reality of extreme poverty, right? That, that people become commodities and, you know, families will sell their children thinking that it's going to be a way to kind of help them move up in society. Right. Right. So let's talk about then the inception of Studio Samuel. What, let's talk about that a little bit. How, how did you get going, you know, after the story and, you know, you came home obviously and went back to music and fashion. Yes. yes. So I, I came back and a couple of years later is when I said, you know, I, I decided it was time to do something and I reconnected with somebody on the ground in Ethiopia and put together like a, a small launch with three girls and that was what I knew. All right. So you, you started with three girls. I, st I started with three girls through an employable skills platform. And what happened with that is as we started progressing, I realized that it was not right on my side to jump straight to employable skills because the underlying foundation was not there of the most basic life skills for, okay. for various reasons. And that was a big learning curve for me. And it was the beginning of seeing how the, the challenges and also the rewards of working in a developing country, things happen so differently than they do here. Uh, while I was in transit, I, I was in flight. The workspace that we were going to be working at during my trip had fallen through. There was no workspace when I landed. And there was no equipment and on and on. So that that happens and mm -hmm. you just have to pack your patience and be ready and, and you know be ready to pivot when you have to but so with with those three girls i realized this is not the way to, to to build something going forward you can't start with job skills we we decided to go well at the time it was just me i decided to go back to the most basic of life skills and i started educating myself on you know what needs to happen again this wasn't my expertise i wanted to i started surrounding myself with people who were the smartest people in the areas that I didn't know. And I learned the best lesson from one of my meetings. It, it was this, and this carries over into other areas of life as well, but I had a meeting with a woman who was a pretty high level government official and she was very familiar with Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And she shared this story with me that I will never forget, and I share it with my team, I shared it with my director when we hired him, 
and it, it resonates today. There were women, Western women, on a vacation in Afghanistan, and they were horrified at how far women were walking for water and what it was doing to them, and they wanted to help. They went home, raised money to bring a well to these women. And, and I'll preface this by saying I am all for water projects. They are so needed around the world, and way too many people don't have access to clean water. This is not mm -hmm. about that. So these women went home with very good intentions, raised money, built a well. They went back and expected when they landed to be greeted with, you know, thanks and gratitude. And, and they wanted to collect all the information to take home to their donors and maybe do this elsewhere. When they landed, the, the women in the community were so angry and they were not happy with this well. And it's because when they were walking those hours to get the water, that was their only time with their friends. It was their only time away from their husbands. And it was their only time to just do whatever they wanted to do. And it didn't mm -hmm. matter what they said. And when the well came, they didn't have that time anymore. And they now had more jobs on their list from their husbands because they had more time in their day to work. And so what we learned from that, we always work alongside the community. We never work over them. If we're going to expand a program or bring a program in or do an extension program in a different area, we always work with the community who's there. Do they need it? What do they want? And our team on the ground is all Ethiopian. So again, yeah, it's, so it's really important to know the culture of the community that you're absolutely. that you want to help and and know what they want. I mean, this this comes back to, you know, I'm I'm Ryan Levesque is going to be on my podcast in you know a couple of months, and he he wrote this book called Ask, and we're going to be talking about another part of his of his business called Choose, which is like choosing the right niche when you start a business, but the fundamentals of asking your audience what they want is so, so, so important because it's not necessarily true if you build it, they will come. It is really important to find out, you know, culturally and societally and what, you know, what people want. And that's what you're saying. So we have Halawi. Yeah, he's here. Halawi is our incredible, incredible country director. So he's here. He's joining so we're we're filming this in the time of COVID, and so we're we're wearing masks there. I'm in my home, and Tamara's in her home. So is it possible? Or can you take your masks off, or is it not okay? If you like, we can't do it. Is that okay with you, Tamara? No, yeah, if if okay. they're if they're far apart enough. Okay. Yeah, just yeah, just be far. You know, be far enough apart. So. Okay. So tell us a little bit about what's happening right now in Ethiopia with COVID and, and what you're doing with Studio Samuel and how you're moving forward. Okay. First of all, I want to say thank you for you. So as you know, COVID-19 is a global problem. And in most of the country, it creates economic and social problems. But mm -hmm. for the country like Ethiopia, where Studio Samuel is working for, a lot of problems happen. For example, when, when we see to our program, our center is closed. Our, we have a microloan program. A microloan program is just run by our caregivers, our students' caregivers, and they can't able to do what they did in the past. For example, they, they sell food, food stuff on the streets, with the loan they get from Studio Samuel Foundation. They mm -hmm. get the loan, they make money by doing street vendor. So in the streets, now people are not consuming uh, food that are produced in the streets. So our, our loan program is mostly affected by, by COVID-19. Yeah. And on the other hand, our center is closed which is very bad for us, but we are making follow-up for our students using a phone call. And sometimes it's forbidden to be appear more than 4%. So we call them and we work, work together. For example, a, a psychosocial support. And the studio summit also done uh, during this COVID-19 problems, pandemics, we deliver food for three months. Mm. So that helps our students, families, and all the communities, we help as, as much as we can. Other organizations yeah. do not do this, but we do this. And our center is closed, but we also distribute 
face masks. Our students made face masks because they, they have the skill to make to sew and to embroider. So they make sewing, they sew face masks around 2000. Then we deliver for the communities and for the hospitals, for the clinics, and for the health stations. So we did this during the pandemic. That's that's great. Well, you're, it sounds like you're 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 making do with a difficult situation. Yeah. Yeah. So who do you have there with you? So, excuse me. Who's the Who's there with you? She's one of our students. So she's going to tell to tell you her story. In short. Oh, okay. How how she, how she joined our our organization? How Studio Samuel also helped her. So she okay. can't speak English. She will. She will speak in Amharic. I will translate for you. Great. Awesome. Say hi. All right. How did you come into Studio Samuel? Okay. Just, she said, I'm recommended. I'm told by, by the government. We call it Warada. It is the lower level of the government office, they recommend her to join Studio Samuel because we are working for girls. Okay, that's great. And, and what happened to bring you into Studio Samuel? She said that she did three things. I get good performance in my education. And also, I got a lot of skills that are given by Studio Samuel Foundation Training for Tomorrow program. And she said, I am confident right now. Oh, that's really good. Can we get a bit of the backstory, like how, how she came into Studio Samuel, what, you know, what her life was like before Studio Samuel? Okay, yes. Okay, as you heard, she said everything in Amharic, so I will try to translate in Amharic in English. So she said she was living in a rural area, rural area of Ethiopia. So because of the child marriage, she came to Addis Ababa. Everyone was getting married in around 30, 13 to 40 or 50. Below 18 years, everyone is getting married. This is mm. early child marriage. So mm -hmm. she ran away from their home and her mother sent her to her sister. That means her aunt. So mm -hmm. she's staying in her aunt's house, helping her mom, helping her aunt. So during this time, the government recommended her. She was depressed and she was not in a good mood when she stayed, when, when she came from the rural area. So mm -hmm. the, her extended family searches for help. So they found Studio Samuel using the government's body. So the government mm -hmm. recommended her to us. Then we work for her. We work on her. And just as she said, she's confident right now. And right. joining Studio Samuel helped her to do not marry in her early age. Right. How, how old are you now? Now she's going to 70, 17. 17? Okay. And so you don't yeah. have to get married now because you have skills. Yeah. Right. That's good. That's awesome. Is there anything else you want to share with the audience? Yeah, 
Okay. She's talking about Stereo Samuel. Just as a girl, Stereo Samuel is very important organization because they Stereo Samuel helped us to perform good in, in education and they are against early marriage. And uh, mm -hmm. their motto is just women must go to education, she said. So because of this, Studio Samuel is the most important organization in our community, she said. That's great. That's really good. So what, what are you looking forward to now in your life? I don't know what if you want. Yeah. Thank you. She says that I am the first girl or I am the first in my family who joined the school. Now I am 17. She's running to 17. Now she's 16, but she's running to 70. Okay. Uh, even I'm 16 years old, I'm in sixth, sixth grade because of she was living in in rural area because I'm, I was living in rural area, she said. Mm -hmm. So age doesn't matter for me. So I will join university and I will be an engineer. That's great. That's great. She's an engineer. An engineer. Yes. And you can do it. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, that's really, really great. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to share with the audience before we continue with uh, Tamara? Either Me? one of you. Either one of you, yeah. Yes, I have something to add. When we started Studio Samuel, it was totally different organizations than another charities because mm -hmm. we are delivering the skills for girls. Just teaching a woman to fish, not to eat fish. We are not giving fish. We are teaching them how to catch the fish. So we give them the skill to equip them with different skills or to equip them with employment skills. So when we do that, before the family and the community doesn't know about our program training for tomorrow, then we collect the community members, the community leaders, and the caregivers of our students. Then we discuss they start sending our students, our girls, just our, our child, just the girls are our child. So with those students, we give them only three months trainings, you are sewing in the embroidery. So they make embroidery on cultural clothes. So they start making money and helping their family. In that way, the family got that a skill is better than a handout. So, mm continually they start sending their children because they make money using the skills they get from Studio Samuel. So using this, the government allowed us, certified us. We are trained, we have a training for tomorrow program, which is for two years. Then the government certified us as a college. So now we are considered as a college. Yay. That's great. Yeah. That's really great. Thank you. And so much of it is due to Halawi. He, he's incredible. He's respected in the community. He's educated. He's actually getting his master's degree right now. But he's so committed, and we couldn't do this without him. So, Halawi, thank you for making this work. And we don't want to share her name on the computer, but thank you. Go, Beth. Thank you. Thanks so much for sharing. I really appreciate it. What time is it there? Thank you. Is it the middle of the night? No, it's eight, seven eight, eight. Yeah, not 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 in the middle. It's two p.m. Two. Oh, it's two p.m. Eight p.m. Sorry. Eight p.m. Eight p.m. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so not so bad. Six hours. That's that's not seven hours. That's not so bad. All right. Well, we're we're going to talk a little bit more with Tamara about how to how people can help and and you know more about the origin story, and we really appreciate you sharing with us. About about everything that's going on. So this is great, okay. and you're gonna be a great engineer. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Ciao. Bye bye. bye. Wow, that was really interesting. Thanks so much for having him come on at nighttime. They're, I know <laughs> they're incredible. They really are. Yeah, I know that's really great. So we just met a girl who was 
you know, she came to Addis Ababa, right? Ababa, say it right. Yes. Yeah, Addis Ababa, Addibba. Ababa. Added. Uh, oh. Addis. Okay, Ababa. 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 Okay. <laughs> so, so she went to the city to because her family sent her there to to get married, or she was she was brokered. She was going to be married in her rural area. Her mother helps her get to Addis no. when it happened. And, and uh, uh, okay. she All also right. did not want it happening. So Got she, it. Yeah. Okay. All right. And does she have, I mean, the, the, the question then is, does she have any contact with her family, her mother? It's usually strange. Her story is mm-hmm. pretty common. A, a lot of our students go through these things. And it's usually strange and sometimes to the point where they coming from an area where it's okay for child marriage, it's not an easy transition to now live in a home and come to our center to an after school weekend program that focuses on education, not child marriage. It's, it's like really antithesis of that. So there's usually a struggle with allowing the girls to come. And that that is kind of like touching on the point that Halawi was discussing about teach a woman to fish in our community. Many, so many charities are needed. However, when there are so many, there can be a sense of dependency from the community. And we, we don't give things. And that was a big challenge. It's now our biggest reward because we have the trust of the community. But in the beginning, the caregivers would come, caregivers meaning the aunts or sisters or relatives or strangers who the girls live with. And they might expect to be paid to come to presentation about what is our pro- what our program is about. They would expect, mm. expect to be paid. We don't do that. So what Halawi was referencing with the embroidery, we have programs where the girls will be able to get a part-time job. It's not child labor. It's like when you're a little here and you had a newspaper route or babysitting. Right. You, you can embroider in three months and you can make some money to put food on the table. Once that came to happen, there was proof of concept. And then the biggest, we had a, a student receive a, four-year, a six-year medical school scholarship. We had another student receive a four-year scholarship. That was proof of concept. Now everybody wanted their girls to come to us. But, but there's an exchange. I mean, it's working with the community. I know we can't pay you to come, but we know you can't wait two years to see the effect of our program. If we can implement something and you work with us, your girls can bring in a part-time income in, in a few months. And then right. they stay with us for the two years. So. That, that's where it, I hope I didn't call that a tangent there, but I, that, that's where the story goes for these girls. So, they come from the rural area and then into our program. Bit of so a it's not, it's not a residential program. No. So no. they actually live in the community and then come to Studio Samuel for the, for the education. And when you first started the sewing, what it was more about like menstrual kits, right? And helping deal with the stigma around periods. Yes, yes. That, that's one of my favorite programs that we have. And it actually came into play now during COVID. We were teaching girls how to sew by, which is an employable skill in Ethiopian in their community. We were teaching them how to sew by making menstrual kits. And when these kits were finished, the girls had gone through production, team building, pattern making versus cutting. They, they organized all of that on their own. And then they would be the ones to go into a rural community where a girl would drop out of school because she doesn't have access to menstrual supplies. And our students would do the presentations. And that's self-esteem, you know, standing in yeah. front of your peers. And I've been on a couple of those drops and it's absolutely incredible. We send a nurse and a social worker. When I've seen the ones that I've seen, the adults weren't needed. Our students did all of it. And the one I was on, they, the last one, they, our students dropped in 500 menstrual kits. It's 500 more girls that our students just kept in school. Yeah. They're giving back to the community themselves and they realize that they can, you know, just. So we live in a patriarchal society here in America. And, and one of the ways that we see that is through the exorbitant cost of menstrual products, right? Or pink it, shrink it and raise the price, right? There's, there's that. So there's like, a, you know, when, when you look at the, the cost of women's pink razors and men's razors, the women's razors are more. I mean, there's just all of that. That's 
that's how the patriarchy, it's one of the ways, there's lots of ways, but there's, that's one of the ways that we see the patriarchy here in America. We don't want to ever talk about our periods. We never want to say, you know, I mean, everyone knows that we have them, but it's not something that you talk about. It's kind of, there's a lot of shame around it. And, you know, kind of like with menopause in the same way, you know, people say, well, nobody wants to see a woman sweat through menopause. Well, you know, you fuck you, it happens, right? <laughs> and, and so that's why, that's why we're called the menopause movement. We're not called the midlife movement or something like that because we're trying to remove the stigma. You know, there's this whole thing about, you know, whether menopause is a medical condition. It's not, it's just a phase. But like, there's so many industry beliefs around it. And so when you come to industry and community beliefs, so I am, I'm getting back to you on this. The patriarchy seems to like really have a foothold there in that, that women, you know, are not that important. They're, they're there to make babies. The, there's, as soon as they are sexually mature, they're ready for marriage. And then once girls start to have periods, there's, you know, there's no, there's no help for them. They don't have any way to manage their periods. And so they just have to sit around and bleed. And so... <laughs> I mean, and, and so it's really sad. And so now you've got, you're teaching girls all of these skills. Like not only are they learning how to, how to manage their periods, but they're, te- they're learning how to be leaders. They're learning how to go and, and talk to other, other girls in the community and keep them in school, right? And so do you, ever, do you ever look at, you know, do you ever talk about the patriarchy as, as it is? Or is that something that you don't really kind of go after? We don't do what's not culturally acceptable, but okay. through the through the life skills program and some of our courses, we have a leadership lab and it includes mentoring, it includes debate against each other and they're each given a side. We have a team talk division. They bring up these topics themselves because at Studio Samuel, it's a safe place for them. They know they can talk about whatever they want. And that's where you get to the root of it. They really, like, this, this is a change generation, I think. They realize some things are taboo, and we need to start changing a little bit. And that's their message, not ours. And one thing we do is we, we bring men into our center as well to listen to the girls. And so through one of their programs, they, they do film and editing and storytelling. They will act out what they've seen or what their friends have experienced or something maybe they saw in their home. And it's really just to bring awareness to it. And there will be brothers and uncles and dads sitting. And I've seen them shed a tear when they see this. And it's something maybe it's not spoken in their home, but this is a way to let the men know the girls are aware of what's happening. This is what their take on it. This is what they're seeing. And maybe it's not as confrontational as it might be mm-hmm. in the U.S., but, and maybe they don't speak about it as much when they leave our center. But at our center, it's, the, the, the girls are creating this messaging, and they know how to bring it back and how it applies into their lives. Yeah, that's, that's that really good. Question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but didn't Ethiopia just hire, just, just elect a female leader? Yes. yes. And, and President that, Sally that's, she's, she's incredible. Right. That's a big change, you know, for a country that has been steeped in patriarchy. You know? And she's so, on a mission for girls empowerment as well. She, oh, that's good. So does she, she know about Studio Samuel? Her office helped us with the situation uh, last year. I don't know how much she remembers us, but she is, <laughs> she is telling we're very grateful. <laughs> That's awesome. So let's talk a little bit about how you went from three girls to 2,200 girls. We went, we opened 25, much to begin, thanks to you and your support. And the, we reached 2,200 through the training for the three, the three pillars we have. We touch on every age group. So 9 to 18 is our training for tomorrow. It's our life skills program. It's after school and on weekends. Mm-hmm. And the prerequisite for that is to be in school. And we will get a girl in school. And then it's 18 to 24, the colleges. It's our sewing lab and our computer lab. And the government certified us as colleges in those areas with also, they said that they will provide job placement for those graduates, which is incredible. And we're That's great. grateful for that. That has not happened yet. It's in it's our first class. And then the micro-lending program for the, the caregivers to keep them in work. Because if they're in work, they're not going to keep their daughter 
or their niece or you know the girl that's in our program they're not going to keep her home from school to work if they can work so mm. those are those reaching the 2200 through our classes each class is 100 girls and then we have extension programs so we'll have a summer camp just in our computer lab we had a martial arts camp and again that brings self-esteem and self-defense for these girls and mm-hmm. teaches them how to use their voice and then we've also done really well with our menstrual care program and that's where our girls will go into another school and give kits and that's been really successful and we've done follow-up on that to make sure that it is working have any girls dropped out, but it's, it's, it's been really good so far. So do you have a waiting list? We have a waiting list of 1,600 girls right now. Wow. And our next and class will enroll in 21. So we so are... Tw- in 2021? Yes. Okay. And so you do 100, 100 girls at a, t- at a time. What's, what is it going to take for you to double your capacity? We want to expand to a larger training center. We're still in the same training center that we were in when we started with 25 girls. Mm-hmm. So the larger the larger training center, which will remain our flagship. And you know, with that, we can get more girls there. We can get more girls at a summer camp, which is very key because when a girl goes out of school, which is our big concern right now with the schools closed and girls home during COVID, when a girl is home during the summer, she's at a higher risk of these unsafe options I mentioned because she's not in school. So if we can get her to our center for a couple of hours a day through a summer camp, that reaches more girls. Mm-hmm. What's the long-term vision? Do you have a number that you want to reach in the next five years? It's not a number of students. It's a number of places. We, we would like to expand our program into other locations. Okay. Other, All other right. countries. So currently you're in, you're in the city? We're in the city and we've done pilot programs extension programs in rural areas in the southern region in a tribal area we've Mm -hmm. done programs in the uh, northern area where it's more rural what does it cost to you know what's your annual budget you know you pay all of the staff right everybody who works in the community in this in the in the center so what is your what is your annual budget to run 100 girls through plus the summer program we would like we need to be two fifty. Two hundred fifty thousand? Yes. Dollars. Okay. Yes. Right so now that's, it's less than that because we are on a shoestring and it's very yeah, difficult yeah, it's, for everybody. With COVID. Yeah, COVID's really, really rough. It's really hit everybody very hard. So tell us a little bit about where this name came from. The studio is personal background, just being in a studio. It's like an art space, a music space, it's it's creative, it's collaboration. There's no wrong answers to things. Everybody's trying different ideas. I wanted the girls mm-hmm. to have that for themselves. And then Samwell was the given name, my son's given name. Okay, so. that's great. Mm-hmm. And that's how, that's how you get it going. So we'd met one girl. Can you tell us some examples of some success stories of some, some of the women, girls and women who have come through your program and what they're doing now, what they were like yes. before and what they're doing now? The one thing that's really interesting is having 100 girls, and I, I feel like they are all my girls. There are so many different levels of success, and it looks different to everybody. Mm-hmm. So there's one student, she was in a situation in school with a pay-for-grades situation with her teacher. It's Pay-for-grades? Pay-for-grades. Okay. And she was slightly abused and progressing. Uh, was not. He did not sexually abuse her at this point. Uh, but she was getting very concerned and she shared this with some of the girls at the center. And that led to sharing with more girls. And they said, you have to go to the director, uh, Palawi, who you met. And they said, if you don't go to him, we're going to. They took it to him and it ended. He brought her in with our social workers who are all female. She felt comfortable speaking about this. She agreed that it's wrong and she'll use her voice and they will be behind her. A files were charged and the police were involved, a record, you know, it was put on his record. He, he kept his job. He never bothered her again. There was to be no backlash. That was part of the agreement. And she, she was quoting. She was so, she was over the moon because she did this with her own voice. And when I, when I came to the training center shortly after this had happened, I mean, I'm ragged by the time I get there between travel and everything, but I'm excited. So I went to the training center and the girls met me at the gate 
saying, did you, did you hear what so-and-so did? Did you hear what happened? And we all came together. And that's when they told me this story. And it just, it affected so many girls because they came together and made this happen. I, I think Ripple that's effect. A, yeah. Ripple effect. Yeah. yeah. Girls using their voices. So yeah. I think that's one of my favorite success stories. And then university, gir girls who have come from a situation of, you know, born into poverty, child labor, uh, just to keep a roof over their head. They're the ones doing the chores. They're not allowed to do homework. They're, some have not been able to use electricity at night. And they do everything they can to do their homework because they, they see education as a pathway. We had a student who always wanted to be a doctor, and many children say that. She really wanted to be a doctor, and she did everything correct and worked extremely hard. And she was given a, not given, she worked for it based on merit. She received a six-year scholarship to med school. Right. She's going to med school in the city? Yes. That's that's great. Yeah. So so that may just change. That's why I paused. But yeah, she's in the city. And she's still she's still in touch with us. And what is her plan after medical school? Do we know what what her specialty is going to be or any of those things? I don't know. She's changed it twice, but she's she's going to do well. Yeah. And tell her not to come to America. I don't want to. I don't want her to come to America <laughs> and practice medicine. It's it's not that good. So before we get into how how to get involved, which is really important. I, I want to talk to you about how you had to change and, and the growth that you experienced in building this. And so probably put you on the spot a little bit. But whenever we take on a venture, I mean, you know, this is a passion project. This is, you, you're, you were a music industry executive, you fashion person, you know, and there's not a lot of people that, that are going to leave something like what you did to... I mean, you quit your job, right? This is all you do now. Yes. Yeah. And, and I get that because I recently quit my job just to do the menopause movement. So I understand when, you're, when, you're, when you find your, your purpose, your soul's purpose, it's very hard to say no to that. So I, I want to ask you three questions. And the first one is, what were you like before Studio Samwell? I think a lot easier going. <laughs> really? That's interesting. Yeah. Yes. In what way? In what way would you say you were easier going? I, I mean, I think there's a lot more on the line right now. You know, like okay. our, our decisions to grow a program are affecting people's lives. That was not my life before. If I did something, okay. it affected my life. It didn't, you know, or my family. Right. It, so it you have a, like a wider view of, of things. What kind of limitations did you have to give up? What kind of beliefs did you have to give up to build this? How did you have to change? There are certain times I have to be quiet so it can be done, so, so work can get done. But again, it's, it's been a learning curve, and now that's just part of the, part of the work. Like I, I know I'm learning more how to navigate. And it was, you know, maybe I did speak out in the beginning, and then a project wouldn't get done. And I would, I would see, oh, okay, that's, that's, again, that's a direct effect of something that I wasn't, I did not educate myself on at the time, or I wasn't aware of. And there would be times when I thought I took my Western hat off, and I thought I was right in there understanding something and mm -hmm. finding out that, no, we need to back up a minute. And it all goes back to working alongside the community and, you know, taking a pause, observing, watching. And okay, this is how we want to get it done. It doesn't mean it's not going to get done. It just means it has to get done a different way. Right, right. I mean, it's it's. I, I think it's really important for us as leaders to be open to shifting our perspectives. You know, and that's kind of what you just said. You know, you want to see, you know, educate yourself, and you want to see things from a new perspective in order to get things done, especially when you're working in a community or a culture that you may not, that's not native to you, right? Right, and if we're um, going to expand, that's, you know, that, that's so key. And it's key for everybody. I love traveling, and the more you travel, yeah. It's, just, it's, it's the best education you can get from traveling. Uh, yeah, I love to travel, too. I can't wait. I mean, one, one of the goals of the menopause movement is to bring a film crew to Studio Samwell. That's one of my goals. Oh, you yeah. are welcome. Oh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I want to bring my core leadership in film in Studio Samwell. That's something I want to do. So how, how did you have to change? You know, what changed for you in terms of leading a team 
because this is a different team, right? So how, how did you have to shift, you know, who you are? How are you different now? Other than, you know, you said you were less, less easygoing. You know, now you're, you know, things are, there's, the, there's higher stakes now, right? Yeah, but, definitely. but in terms of like, you know, what do you like now, now that you've started to grow and you're serving not, you know, you're serving 10x, really, right? To 100x, the, the number mm-hmm. of, of girls. So what does 100x growth in your life look like? I mean, you, you had to have done some things on yourself in order to make this happen. You, you don't, you don't grow a business 100x and not change inside. That's a really good question. <laughs> Go, going into this, it, 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 there's, there's so many different ways to answer this because not only changing it's it's just education because mm-hmm. i was growing something in a different country and if it was going to succeed i needed a team here as well and the team here was the board those are mm-hmm. high powered executives that i'm supposed to find and that you know lead and bring that together and that was really pivotal for us to move forward is having the right board in place and we do it incredible group of people and we're still building it out and I, I hope you are on it possibly one day. I hope and, so too. <laughs> and then in, in country it was I mean, you, you can't rush anything. So you, you met Halawi today that hiring the country director is very key to things working the right way. So I had to find out where do I find the right country director and you, you couldn't rush it. So that, that was a change for me. As, as far as I made one trip to Ethiopia just to find a country director. And I couldn't waver. So everyone on that list, they were good, but they weren't, they didn't have that special thing that I was looking for. The so it I came factor. Home, the it factor, right. <laughs> and I came home without a country director. And I, I could have just said yes to these very qualified people, but I waited and I, I don't know how long it was. I, it could have been another year before you know, Halawi and I connected. But I think that would be a shift for me as far as, you know, okay, I don't know if I'm answering your question the right way. No, you, it's fine. It's, I mean, it, personal growth is a, is a funny thing, right? I mean, I could say that, you know, for me, I, there, there were tons of beliefs that I had to give up in order to come into the menopause movement full time. I mean, one of them was that I had this belief as a child that I could only make money if I was a doctor. And I formed that belief at age five and I had to undo it at age 54, right? And, you know, that was kind of the big block for me, like that was keeping me from, from building this business was that there was only one way to make money in my subconscious. And so I had to like really undo that. And, and I had to like, there was a memory involved and all these things. And it's really interesting how the universe will bring you a passion project or show you your soul's purpose. And then we are in this position where we actually have to change in order to make it come to fruition. And, you know, you said that where you may have made a decision in the past to, you know, bring in somebody who was qualified, but maybe didn't, you didn't have that connection. You know, you waited and that's, that's huge. So. Right. Like um, I think maybe before I would have just checked off the box. Okay. Country director, we had that. But it's, it's also how our, our board was built out. I met with a consultant before doing the board, very briefly, just to get advice because this I, I was going this alone at the beginning and not sure you know what I needed to do. Again, I wanted the smartest people around me in the areas I didn't know because then I would feel secure. Mm-hmm. So when she asked me what type of board do you want, I've never been on a board. I never I don't know I didn't know how to answer that question. So I said I want a happy board. I want people who want to do this and there's no drama and there's no ego and it's all about the girls. That's number one, happy and all about the girls. And she laughed because she said, I've only ever had one client say happy and it's one of the only boards that is still working from like years ago when she was putting it together. So we, we stick to that. We're very organic and if we have to wait, we wait and things just have to be not perfect. Nothing's perfect, but it has to feel good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, if you get into the metaphysical, some of the metaphysical texts, you know, like Course in Miracles or, or even, you know, Abraham Hicks, I mean, they talk about how our job on is really to feel good. That's our job. And when we feel good, then, you know, 
everything, we have to pay attention to our feelings. And when we feel good, then everything can kind of sprout forth. And it's, it's funny when you build a business because when you're starting to build a business, you can decide how you want it to be. You can, it can be this heavy thing that you choose to put around your neck, or it can be something that every minute you work on it, you love. And for me, I mean, it's like when I started seeing, when I'm starting, I'm, you know, I'm still, still building this business. And when I start to see things that are paralleling to the life that I had before that I didn't like, I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I don't like that feeling. I'm going to make a change. And so it's really important for us as humans to know that, that our feelings are really a beacon. They're a beacon to, to, to what kind of life we have. And so for you to start with saying, I want my board to be happy. I want them you know, to be drama free. I mean, that's, you know, how, how many people can say that there's no drama at work? Not, it's not, not, very, not very often, right? There's, there's, there's always a drama somewhere, you know? So I think that's really good. And I might have challenged you a little bit to take, take a look inside more than, than probably anybody else has. I'm sorry, I didn't warn you about that. Yeah, thank just, you for that. It, it just came to me, you know, while I was thinking, because I, one of the things I do, I spend a lot of time, like, I spend a lot of time really examining my own beliefs, examining my state of being, because I, I study behavior change. And so if, if, if I want a certain thing, you know, let's say, I mean, and I, I use this example all the time, as I say, if I want to lose 100 pounds, then I can't be the person who's eating ice cream every day, right? I have to be the person who moves my body and makes, you know, eats a salad, <laughs> you know, but the only way to do that is to make the decision and be that person now. And so that's, I always like to look for, you know, especially in high performers like you, I like to look for what are the, what are the clues? Because the successes that you have, you know, they leave clues. And so what did you actually have to change in yourself to make, make this all happen? And I think, I think that's really important. And I, I love that part, that, part of self-discovery and, and exploration, I think is really important. Yeah. It can be a bit scary too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But thanks for playing. <laughs> All right. How do we get involved with Studio Samuel? How do we get people to help out with the girls? Oh, there, there are many ways in all levels. We have a studio. It's our recurring monthly program, $10 mm-hmm. a month. That, that makes a big difference and it can go up from there. Scholarships, which puts a specific girl in school. Scholarships are 500 for the year. Doesn't have to be one payment by any means. That can be monthly. Mm-hmm. Board service, volunteering, loads of ways to volunteer. And advisory roles, if there's an expertise that you know we, we shift in our needs at certain times depending on what we're working on. Uh, advisors are always welcome, but you know, there are many ways. Yeah, and how do they get a hold of you? You can go to the website, studiosamwell.org, and Samwell is spelled like Samuel, S-A-M-U-E-L. Dot org. Okay. All right. So studiosamwell.org. And then you have a store, right, where you can just like buy soap or bracelets, candles, right? Yes. And that's studiosamwell.org backslash shop. Awesome. And our products are, it's it's a limited store with a, a purpose. So the soap, you, you're treating yourself. Everybody can treat themselves right now. It's $15 for a pack of handcrafted soap. The scents are uh, really organic to Ethiopia. There's coffee with goat's milk and uh, charcoal, lavender, eucalyptus. It's a really great soap. When you buy that, you're putting each bar of soap puts a one-liter all-purpose soap in a home in our community. And that's really needed right now during COVID. It washes, it works on hands, clothing, mm-hmm. and your body, and, and dishes. Wow. And that, that okay. will be needed after the pandemic as well. Yeah. Okay. So that's studiosamuel.org forward slash shop. And we'll make sure we hook that all up in the show notes. Now, one question before we talk about the International Day of the Girl on October 11th is, what's your favorite Ethiopian dish? Dorowat. 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 That's the chicken? Yes, the chicken with the egg. The chicken with the egg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that, I like Doro Wat a lot. I like it okay. a lot. And are you able to, so, so just for the, 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 the audience who isn't familiar with Ethiopian food, Ethiopian food is served with a special, it's like a pancake. It's like a sourdough type of pancake, and it's called injera. And they use a lot of, it's almost like a curry, but it's not. It's, it's beriberi, right? Not beri, is it beriberi? Beri. No. 
Berber. Berber. Okay. But it stains your fingers. And so my question is, can you eat, can you eat Ethiopian without staining your fingers? Oh, I think I can. Yes, I can. I, yes, I, I had my, my first time out of my house during COVID was for Ethiopian lunch, socially distanced. Yeah. My, yes, I did not steam, I think. That's interesting. Oh, that's awesome. I always, well, it's, it's funny because there's a book called Cutting for Stone. Yes. Which, yes. Yeah. So, it's so it's a novel. It's a great book. It's written by a surgeon. So it's a little bit technical in terms of the, the language of the novel, but it's all about a, a pair of twins uh, who both become surgeons. One comes to New York and one stays in Ethiopia. And they talk about their father who birthed, birthed them from sex with a nun, I think. Yeah. So there's a lot of religious stuff going on there. There's a lot of cultural things going on there. And but one of the things that really stuck out for me is how, how the protagonist was talking about eating Ethiopian food with his father and how his father's fingers were all stained. And then every time I eat Ethiopian, my fingers are all stained. I'm always like, Ugh. so, I mean, but I love it now food. every time I eat it. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I love the food. I love Ethiopian food. It's one of my favorite, favorite types of food in, in the world. And I'm, I'm excited to actually go to Ethiopia and eat Ethiopian with you. I was going to say, you have to come now because we know all the places. Yeah, I'm, I'm, as soon as, soon as like, the world opens up, we're coming with a film crew. Awesome. It's going to be great. We're going to help blow you up. So let's talk about the International Day of the Girl that's on October 11th. Yes, so we are... Again, we're doing a lot of pivoting this year. We're moving everything online, which a lot of people have for their event. Mm -hmm. So we have a song that we're releasing. It's written for our girls. We have this incredible Ethiopian performer from the West Coast. She's Asian Ethiopian. She's involved with that. It'll be sharing our girls' stories. Our host is Hannah Geber-Selassie. She's Ethiopian Eritrean. She's incredible. She's very involved in the Ethiopian community. She, she actually lives in the U.S. And our global ambassador, Julian Lennon, he is going to be participating. And we just, it, it's really just to grow our community, being part of our goal. We need to grow. And a part of our goal this year was pre-pandemic plans was to go to different communities, whether it's 10 people or 50 people, and have small gatherings. We had one for International Women's Day in March in LA and mm -hmm. right before everything happened. So we only made it to LA. So this event is to bring all of those other communities together online. That's great. And yeah. it's $10 per ticket. And that's going to give a minstrel kit that'll keep a girl in school for three years. And so you can go to studiosamuel.org, IDG 2020. And we want to raise for international day. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, that's fine. And we want to raise enough money to enroll the next 100 students. So that's $250,000. Just for the scholarships, we are, our goal is $50,000. Uh, 50? dollars 500 okay. for the one year. Yeah, it, yes. All right, cool. And you're only charging $10, which is pretty great. And that's another way to get out the message. So your $10, for any donation to Studio Semmel, 100% of your dollar goes to our program. Our board covers operational costs, so it's it's a win-win for everybody and that ten dollars keeps the girl in school for up to three years with the kids. and if somebody wanted to give are you like a 503c or are you a nonprofit so that they can take that money off on their taxes yes we are 501c3 in the u.s we're an internationally okay. licensed nonprofit in ethiopia and right. if you donate on our page as studioassemble.org there's a donate button right there you'll see that there's a box you can type in your employee's name and if your employee shows up, it means that they match. And you don't need to do anything mm -hmm. else. They will match your donation. And ma great. many corporations are very generous. Yeah, that's true. My, my brother used to work for the Gates Foundation, and they matched 3x. Three, three wow. That's yeah, good. that was really good. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you were hoping to share with the audience? I don't think so. I mean, you, you, you have just been incredible, and I'm glad we finally got to do this. I, I hope yeah. that my message was clear. Sometimes I'm a little too in the weeds that no. the message isn't clear, but hopefully hopefully it was engaging. And yeah, I mean, follow us. You, you, you see the difference that it makes in these girls' lives, and there's always a ripple effect. Yeah, I mean, the thing, you know, when we were talking to the girl today, she's like, I feel happy now. I, you know, I, I feel confident. And, and that's, that's what we're looking for. And so just remember that, you know, how, how I like to talk about Studio Samuels, it keeps girls out of the sex trade. 
that's, that's probably the easiest way for me to, to describe it. You know, it's not just menstrual kits and it's not just education, but it's empowering, empowering girls to become women leaders in this country. And, and just imagine, you know, if you can do this with 500 girls a year and how, or more, right? Or even if we 10 exit to a yeah. thousand, right? And, and you're able to, to serve a thousand girls a year, you're going to have all of these new leaders that it's just going to hugely change things in the next 20 years. So. And these girls want it. They come into our program yeah. and again, we don't give things. So we have a platform and what they do with it, they're, they're all mapping out new pathways in their lives and they're all taking away something different and they're, they're just incredible. Yeah, no, this is great. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for coming on the Menopause Movement Podcast. Thank you. Now, if you have questions about the topics covered in this or any other podcast, I invite you to open a conversation with me via email at info at menopausemovement.com or on Facebook Messenger through my Facebook page at Dr. Michelle Gordon. That's D-R-M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-G-O-R-D-O-N. I also want to invite you to join in our next beta group. Here at the Menopause Movement, we are always trying out new methods of teaching and the best ways to get on top of your menopause symptoms. We regularly run beta test groups where we create a learning experience valued at $2,000, but at no cost to you in exchange for feedback and testimonials. To get notified of our next beta group, simply sign up at beta.menopausemovement.com. And thanks so much for being a part of the Menopause Movement. I appreciate you. Thank you.